Christmas is just around the corner, and uh, I don't know about you, I kind of get sentimental this time of year. My wife gave me a movie that I've loved watching over the years at Christmas time, White Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Anybody know that movie? Yeah, it's kind of a classic. Um, I, had, I laughed this year because my son-in-law and my daughter, Bree, had their parents over for Thanksgiving, and they decided to watch that movie, White Christmas. Mike had never seen it. And then the string of, 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 <laughs> of texts that follow were hilarious. This really isn't that good. You know, or this stuff. Well, that wasn't too bad. No, this is not any good. And it went on and on and on, uh, uh, talking about the virtues and the flaws of White Christmas, you know. And I thought, oh, you guys are not very sentimental. You just don't have the history I have in it, you know. Um, uh, at this time of year, I think a lot of people get excited about the holidays and, and some you know, observe it secularly. They might read Night Before Christmas or whatever. Um, I know a lot of Christ followers will read Luke chapter 2 to their kids on Christmas Eve and, 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 and rejoice in the story of Christ. I have a question for you. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 1 as part of your Christmas celebration? Anybody ever read about the genealogy of Jesus in Christmas Eve with their kids? Anybody? I'm just curious. I was wondering if there's anybody that I need to talk to here about what to do. But um, no, I would normally never do that either. But I, I, I looked at it this year. Pastor Aaron talked on, on, on it a bit here a, a few messages ago, kind of set up some of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but looking at, at, at the genealogy, it occurred to me there are all these backstories uh, to the coming of Christ that are so illustrative of the ministry that Christ would have. Uh, you know, in this world, all, all these, these, these stories of, of people and, and how God rewrote history because of them and how he rewrote their own story. It's just utterly amazing. And it's found in some of these genealogy stories. And so what we're going to do this Christmas pre-Sunday, whatever you want to call this, Sunday before Christmas, we kind of kicked into high gear, is we're going to look at Matthew chapter one. I'm going to read to you just the first six verses uh, 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 in the genealogy. So we'll cover the first 14 generations uh, uh, before Christ came, um, actually from Abraham to David. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, then we're going to skip the next part because it gets, it's a lot of genealogy. I'm going to skip to verse 16 in Matthew chapter 1 and read to you the Christmas story from Matthew uh, chapter 1. But, but listen to the scripture um, because it, it contains and it's some nuggets, I think, that are just worth, worth, worth remembering uh, this day. So this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Um, Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And her name, of course, is Bathsheba. So now we're going to skip over the next couple of genealogy listings. And I'm going to jump right down to verse 16. And this is at the end of the third genealogy listing. Um, and just pick up there at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 
14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So here's our big thought today. Jesus' family tree contains people whose stories were rewritten. And that was indicative, illustrative of the ministry that Jesus would bring when he came. So we're reading these genealogies, especially the ones I read to you this morning. They're wonderful, marvelous stories of how God rewrote history, how you wrote the stories of these people. And they're indicative, they're illustrative, they're a foreshadowing of what Christ would then do in his ministry when he shows up, okay? And so I always marvel, God, the Bible's one big story, you know, it's not like God started one thing and then did something else. It all illustrates itself. And so even in the genealogy that I just read to you this morning, there's just illustration after illustration after illustration of how God rewrites the storyline of a person's life. And that's what we're going to look at for a few moments uh, uh, this morning. Um, I talked a little bit about this in our Ruth series, specifically on August 28th, and uh, uh, that I just tickled the subject. We're going to get into it in full uh, this morning. So let me give you this thought. It was not common for females to be listed in Jewish genealogies. It just was not common. The woman listed in Jesus' genealogy would bring up memories many families would rather forget. Their inclusion illustrates how a story can be written in God. Now, if you read the Bible closely, you'll see a pattern. God frequently doesn't function according to social norms. For instance, David wasn't the firstborn in his family line, yet he became king of Israel. He was way down the family line in birth order. That's unusual. But God doesn't work according to social norms. God decided to bless Jacob rather than Esau, the secondborn rather than the firstborn. He still blessed Esau, but man, he really blessed uh, Jacob. And then to have inclusion of women in the genealogy of the Savior of the world, that's just, un, that's just not social norm, for, for, especially for that time and that, that culture. And on top of that, some of these women, in fact, pretty much all of them, came from a scandalous background. Anybody have relatives here that you don't talk about a lot? Come on now. I have a lot of relatives. Some of them you go, hmm, right? You, you, you might talk about them a little bit, but there is a little reservation to really uh, say what, what you think, right? And some of these stories here that are in this genealogy I read to you, they're just scandalous. And man, I think they're 
repeated for us. I think they're here because it's so illustrative that our God is in the business of redemption. And he recreates and he renews. And the Old Testament and the New Testament, they, they parallel, they, they reinforce, they, they illustrate one another. And so even as Matthew shares in this genealogy of Jesus Christ, part of what's going on here is he's sharing story after story, illustration after illustration of how God rewrites the stories of people's lives. And that's what Messiah would do when he came in an exponential way. Amen? Because all of us are sitting here today with stories rewritten, right? 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 Okay, thank you. I'm going to just say that to you actually agree with me. All right? Um, so we're going to go through this. This is a little bit different for a Christmas kind of message. And uh, so if you're here listening or online, just hear what I'm trying to share with you this morning, okay? It just, just take it in. So Tamar... It's the first one we're going to look at. Tamar is the first woman listed here. I'm only, I'm only going to talk on the four women today. I guess I didn't say that. I said that first hour. But I, I'm only going to talk on the examples of the four women here today uh, that are listed in this initial genealogy of uh, verses 1 through 6 of Matthew 1 just because I don't have time to get into anybody else's stories. And I'm just going to pick up on their stories uh, this morning. So we're going to start with Tamar. She tricked her father-in-law, Judah, and to have a relations with her that resulted then in Perez and Zerah. Now, if you're reading the Old Testament in Genesis, uh, you, you, you're going along and you're reading about Joseph. And Joseph's kind of like the big story of, of a part of Genesis. And then you get to chapter 38. And right in the middle of kind of the story of Joseph, all of a sudden it's like, the, the, you know, they take a break. And we start talking about Judah and Tamar. And what's going on in their lives and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, my, my mind works this way thinking, why are we talking about Judah and Tamar? You're right in the middle of the story of Joseph and kind of in and out. You know why? Because Judah is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And God is telling us some of the background and some of the story that's transpiring between Judah and Tamar so we kind of understand uh, what's going on. Um, we know a little bit about Judah. Okay? Uh, the brothers here sell Joseph into slavery. Do you remember that? Or they sell Joseph. You remember this? The story of Joseph? Coat of many colors, all that kind of stuff. Brothers are jealous. They want to murder him. Judah's the one that says, don't murder him. Let's sell him instead. Amen? So we see he's kind of a person that brings some compromise to a situation that was becoming deadly really fast. But unless you think too highly of him, there's a story that he's really remembered for. Fathering his children with his daughter-in-law. The story of Tamar's seduction of Judah, if you want to call it that, um, uh, is inserted right here in, in Genesis in chapter 38. Um, God had blessed Abraham with this promise. He says, you're going to father a great nation. And through him, the whole world's going to be blessed. Um, and Abraham's great grandson, Judah, was to be part of that family line of blessing all nations, and ultimately that was realized through Messiah, through Jesus Christ. Well, Judah moves away from his family, and he intermarries with some Canaanites, and he has three sons. Tamar is the wife uh, of the oldest son. He dies, leaving her a widow and no children. So Judah says 
to his second son, Onan, you do what's right, have children with Tamar so that you can carry on your brother's name. Well, rather, Onan, rather than just outright saying, Dad, I'm not going to do this, he passively defies his father. He just refuses to impregnate the girl, okay? And then he dies. So now Judah's lost two sons, and he's got this Tamar, and he says, Tamar, you know what? Go home and be a widow uh, and live there, because Sheila, my third son, is too young to marry you at this point. And when he gets old enough, you know, we'll, we'll do what's right and all that kind of stuff. All along, intending never to give Sheila to Tamar. He didn't want his third son to die. So Sheila grows up, and it's evident that Tamar's not going to be given to him. She begins to realize this because the boy got to marrying age. Judah, meanwhile, his wife dies and some stuff had, had struck at home like that. And so, so Tamar comes up with this plan. She disguises herself as a, a, a temple prostitute. Okay? And, and, and Judah happened to be in the area and, and she, you know, says, come on and, 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 and purchase me, whatever. And, and he willingly does so, but he has no money, so he leaves his staff and his seal with her. I want you to see the irony of this. So he gives her his identification. It's like you or me giving somebody our wallet. See, hold this for surety until I pay you. All right? So I'm going to give you my driver's license and, you know, whatever identification I have, right? So she's a smart girl. She's a smart girl. Okay, I'm going to tell you why in a moment. So they have a relationship. And then he tries to send her payment, but they can't find her. She's gone. They ask about this temple prostitute, and they said, there's no temple prostitute here. What are you guys talking about? And he said, we're starting to look foolish. Forget it. She can just have my staff and shield. Well, later on, he discovers that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant, and he gets really angry. And he says, bring her out here, and let's burn her. She knew this was going to happen. And she says to her accusers, I am impregnated by the person who owns this staff and this seal. Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> it's Judah's staff and seal, right? It's so ironic. And then Judas does something I think is kind of amazing. He didn't excuse. He didn't blame another. He didn't try to hush it up to do damage control. He simply just accepted it. He said, you're more righteous than I am. I didn't do right by you. I should have done right by you. And he exonerates her, so to speak, and says, I'm the one that's wrong here. And I didn't treat you right. It's kind of an amazing thing that, that transpires. And the scandal of Judah and Tamar is not covered up. It was told and retold and told for, for years, for decades, for centuries. And it ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And what, I, what, what you got to begin to understand here is God doesn't hide our brokenness or our need of him. He doesn't hide our cruddy stories. It's not some fairy tale thing that we're reading about. We're reading about real people who are really broken. And God decides, I'm going to use Judah and Tamar in the lineage of my Savior because in their brokenness, in their, in their need of me, is, is, is seen what I'm about. I'm about rewriting stories and what's happening here. And he takes this scandal and he says, I'm going to smack dab, put it right in the middle of the lineage of Jesus Christ because that's who I am. I am a God that rewrites the storyline of people's lives. Amen? And what looked so 
terrible on the surface, God used for his purposes and for his glory. So what he does in these examples of the Old Testament, especially in this lineage that we're reading here, this genealogy, is he shows his redemptive activity in the lives of people. And that's what the Messiah would do then in an even more impactful way when he showed up. So that's the story of Tamar. Let's move on because it just keeps getting more and more interesting. Rahab had the bad reputation of being a Canaanite prostitute. Okay, so she's a Canaanite woman living in Jericho um, who ends up being a biblical heroine. Okay, here's what's going on. The narrative of Joshua 2 tells us about this uh, story of, of, of Rahab. Um, before the conquest of, 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 of Jericho, spies came from um, Joshua uh, to the land and they came to Rahab's house. Uh, and, and, and when the king hears that, of Jericho hears that they're at Rahab's house. He sends some people to get these spies, you know, because he knows what's going on. He knows the Israelites are coming and trying to take over the, the, the land and trying to take over the city. And so Rahab, um, hearing that the king's men were coming to get these spies, has to make a decision. She liked the midwives of old. She liked the midwives in Israel when they were in Egypt. When told by the king, you got to kill all the boys. And they defied that, that order. I don't know if you remember the story. They said, oh, these women, they birth too fast. We can't do this, you know, and all that kind of, they're not like the Egyptian women. They're, they're hardy women. They just give birth really fast. You know what I mean? And they're making up all kinds of reasons why, why they can't kill the baby boys. They made a decision. Uh, we're not going to kill these baby boys. We're going to defy the king instead. Well, Rahab's in that same situation. Rather than, than give up the spies to the, the authorities, she defi- defies the authorities. She hides the spies on a roof under some flax. And she says, they were here, but they're not here anymore. Quick, if you go, you can probably find them. And she sends them on a wild uh, goose chase. And then she says to the men, I will let you out my window, but you've got to make a promise for me. She lived on the wall of the city so they could escape through the city. You've got to make a promise to me. You've got to save our, 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 my family when you come and take Jericho over. You've got to spare my family me. And then the men say to her, the spies, well, if you put the scarlet ribbon out the window, we will not take any, no harm will happen to the people in this house, right? Do you realize the parallels that are going on here? So when, 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 when Israel's exiting um, Egypt, one of the very last acts is the Passover. And, and God would send judgment on the land to take all the firstborn children. But he said to the Israelites, if you paint the blood of the lamb over your door, so my judgment will pass over you. Right? The blood of the lamb. They're putting themselves out of the blood of the lamb. It's, of course, indicative of what we'd have in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his blood's over us, and, and God's judgment passes over us. Well, then, the same thing happens here in the picture way with Rahab and her household. She lets out a red scarlet. The blood was covering her, and the judgment of God would pass over her household. And Now, you've got to understand, she is a Canaanite prostitute. Yet she's becoming a biblical hero. Amen? And she's going to come under, under the, 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 the protection of God. Um, and, and she has a special function here in the biblical narrative of Israel. She becomes an oracle. She becomes a prophetess telling what God was going to do to, to Jericho. And, and she had heard about the events of the Sea of Reeds, of the, of the Red Sea. She had heard how the Israelites had defeated the Amorite kings Og and Sion. And she declared, quoting from the Song of Miriam, that dread had fallen on 
all, uh, all of the land, and surely the land was going to be given over uh, to the invading Israelites. And that's the message that the spies bring back then to Joshua. They bring back this encouragement, this word uh, of prophecy from whom? A Canaanite prostitute. Are you getting this? This is God's business. He rewrites the stories of people's lives. And he takes the most unlikely people and he turns them into the hero of the story. Think with me for a moment. Rahab is triply marginalized. I don't know if you watch basketball. They talk about the big three all the time. This girl had the big three. I shouldn't have made that illusion. I'll tell you, you know, rebounds and assists and and made hoops or whatever. You follow what I'm saying? So she's triply marginalized, right? She's a Canaanite. Bam, that's a bad thing. She's a woman in that culture. Not a good thing. You don't have a lot of power, standing. And on top of that, what is she? She's a prostitute. She's triply marginalized. Her life looks like it's hopeless. But she becomes the bearer of a divine message. And... Even later on, readers of her story and account were a little bit squeamish about her. And so frequently, she's changed from the label prostitute to innkeeper. My friends, hear me. This girl was no innkeeper. All right? Don't do that to the story. You don't need to do that to the story. It it loses some of its impact. She became one of the first proselytes of significance in the narrative of Israel, she becomes this oracle of God, this prophet of God. And she marries an Israelite then. She's spared when Jericho's taken, her family spared. And she marries this Israelite named Salmon. And she's remembered as the ancestor then of kings and prophets. And she's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's our God. He works mightily in the lives of people. And this genealogy is kind of example after example after example of that, of what Jesus would do exponentially through his ministry. Now let's get to Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. We know that. This label is a reminder of Ruth's scandalous ancestry. All right. Uh, Back in August, I did a series uh, on Ruth. And we talked a lot about who she was, so I'm not going to get into that in great detail today other than to say that Ruth was this faithful woman that loved her mother-in-law so much who declared, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. It's just a marvelous story of of a woman who put her utter hope and faith in God, and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But we've got to understand something about her background, about that label being a Moabite. Back in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38, we read about the origins of the Moabite people. So after Lot and his daughters escaped the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, the God rained judgment down. And if you remember the story, right, Lot's wife looked longingly back on, as they fled, and God said, ah, oh, that's not faithful, you're done. And he took her life. And so the two that escape, or the three that escape are, 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 are excuse me, are Lot and his two daughters. And they end up living in a cave in the hills near Zor. Now the two daughters come up with a scheme. They say, you know what? Our family line's going to end. So let's get our father drunk, and then he can have relations with us, and we can use and carry on our family line. And they both do that. I mean, it's an incredibly, like, what in the world are you thinking, girls? Sorry, right? And so they both get pregnant. Lot's oldest daughter named her son Moab. 
That's who the Moabs come from. Her, her second daughter called her son Ben. I mean, and that's who the Ammonites came from. And so when you read about the Ammonites and you read about the Moabites in the Bible, that's where they begin with this incestuous relationship uh, between Lot and, and his daughters. That, my friend, is Ruth's background. Not a good heritage. Something you wouldn't go, ooh, you know. And, and, um, and when you read about Ruth and this faithful girl that marries this righteous Boaz, you just see God's hand at work of rewriting her story. Sir, she came out of the worst history you could possibly come out of. But yet, our God's a God of redemption. Amen? He's a God who rewrites stories. And she ends up in the line of Jesus Christ. Indicative then of what Jesus would do exponentially in his ministry for each one of us. He'd be about rewriting our stories. And then we get to David. And we get to Bathsheba, last of all. David used his kingly position to have an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba experienced then David's betrayal of her husband Uriah. We, we, we just take a moment to feel the, feel the ugliness of the situation. David calls for this girl and has relationships with her. She really can't turn him down. He's the king. She gets pregnant. David then schemes and has her husband Uriah, who's called a righteous man, killed in battle on purpose. So David takes advantage of her and then on top of that, kills her husband to cover it up. That's not good. That's tragic and that's troubling. And we can only guess what went through her mind and the distress she must have felt. Yet God is in the business of rewriting stories and creating beauty from ashes. And so what he does is he uses her future son Solomon because David marries her after this in the line of Jesus Christ. And he rewrites the story. I read these examples personally and I say, well, God, here's what you're doing here. You're illustrating to us in this lineage, in this genealogy, how much you work with broken people and how you take what is so utterly broken and sometimes so despairing and you just change it all for your glory and for your usefulness. Because you want us to understand exactly what Jesus is going to do for us. That he is going to be the minister of life change and story being rewritten. And after the lineage listing of Matthew chapter 1, then we get into the birth of Christ, which I read to you this morning, beginning with verse 16. And we see how God, again, has to kind of rewrite a story. It's just a pattern of his interaction with humanity. Mary is with child, and it's a divine union. The person of the Holy Spirit impregnated her. But Joseph doesn't know that. He thinks his betrothed has defiled. He thinks she's done something wrong. So being a righteous guy, he loves the law of God. He wants to live rightly. But also having empathy and compassion for Mary. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He decides to divorce her quietly, right? I mean, think about what were you in that situation? Honey, you're pregnant. Yeah, God did this, right? Think about how hard that would be to accept. But God is at work here, and he shows up in a dream to Joseph saying, take her as your own, for what is conceived of her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to explain to Joseph that, that what would take place. Um, and so that question of Mary's fidelity is answered for him. But you think they were misunderstood in their time. Think about it. 
Do you think that people go, oh, she had this kid before Joseph came along. Do you think that they would be scandalized and misunderstood? Yeah, we exalt Mary. We say, oh, Mary, virgin and mother of Jesus, and we know the whole story, and we we come at it on this side of the incarnation. But I tell you what, during their life, I think they were probably misunderstood. And, 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 but throughout all history, she'd be highly esteemed. This is what God does in the life of people. I just want to tell you, he rewrites stories. We become his masterpiece. He changes things utterly because of who he is. Um, God is in the business of rewriting stories, and Jesus is, a, is the author of New Beginnings. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And it doesn't matter what your story is today or what you've done. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he begins to rewrite your story. So here's the implication. Jesus is a great redeemer who will rewrite your story if you put your faith in him. Now, personally, I love how real the Bible is. How about you? I love that it doesn't sugarcoat anything. I love that it just gives us all the ugly details at times and lets us know what God really does. And the angel proclaimed uh, to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I'll bring you, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. And I think, yeah, for all people. For people like Tamar, like Rahab, people like Ruth, people like um, Bathsheba, people like you, people like me. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. In the day, uh, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. See, God demonstrated in these ancient ones what he's going to do in Christ. It's just like he's illustrating it for us. The Bible's one big story. God's illustrating in the genealogy, this is going to be the ministry of Jesus Christ unleashed in, 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 when he's incarnate. And, I, and we're the glad recipients of that. <clears throat> let's, let's talk about a reflection here for just a moment, okay? Some of these ancients we talked about, things just happened to them. I mean, Tamar, she loses two men, two husbands. That's a terrible tragedy. Think about it, what she went through. Now, seducing her father-in-law or tricking him, I should say, eh, probably not a right response. What do you think? And then you have Ruth the Moabite. She couldn't help. Her family lineage, that was, that happened to her. She had the scandalous background that she had to just deal with probably all the days of her life. You had Rahab, the, prof, uh, the, the prostitute. She, that maybe was the only way that she could make a living in that culture at that time. Still, you go, ah, it's a sketchy way to do it. Did you really have to do that? How about your own story? Who are you? How about your family? I have to share this. I'm going to leave names out because it concerns some of my relatives and they listen sometimes to this. They'll figure out who they are. <laughs> so I went to uh, my, uh, my uncle's funeral here uh, a couple years back or whatever. It's, time flies. I can't keep track of it. And, you know, I, I have some contact with him and I don't have a lot that much contact with... I come from big families. 13 on my mom's side, 9 on my, 10 or whatever is on my dad's side. I don't know if I got that right even. Anyway... I come from big families, so I go back because a couple of these uncles were very special to me and I wanted to make sure I made their funeral. So I'm sitting there afterwards and in, in, in enjoying the meal together with cousins and my aunt comes to me <laughs> and she says, so you pastor this big church in Brookings, South Dakota? I said, yeah. Huh. She kind of goes, huh, I mean, I'm just going to say this. Growing up, I wasn't the sweetest little boy. Anybody relate to me on that? 
I have a little history here. I wasn't the worst. <laughs> I can say that for sure. But I wasn't the best. And they saw me at my worst at times. Okay? And I was a little bit of a hellion, I'll be honest. Did some stuff that wasn't real good. So she's looking at me and goes, so you like have a couple thousand people? Yeah, really? <laughs> and I thought, huh, you know what? I, what? I'm like 60 years old now, you know what I mean? Come on here, give me a break. You no, know, I was like 14 back then that you're remembering. And then, no, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. Five minutes later, my, another aunt comes and sits down. So, <laughs> tell me about this church. <laughs> And I'm going, I don't really want to talk about it. You know, I, because, it, you know, I mean, but she goes, so, you, you really, this is happening? Yeah, God's good, isn't he? Huh. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, and, and I, God rewrites our stories, amen? And I, every time I come around to Christmas, I think personally, God, what, what would have happened to me if it wasn't for you in my life? It would have been a disaster, it was already turning out to be a disaster. But you're the God who rewrites our stories. You change our lives utterly. Sometimes we author our own bad story, don't we? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was pretty good at doing some of that. Sometimes we inherit a bad story. Whatever be the case, listen to me today and hear this from Jesus. He wants to rewrite your story. Amen? He wants to create a new life for you. A life that's based on his redemptive activity in your heart. It's a wonderful thing. And the genealogy of Jesus is, is, is illustrative of that. And the ministry of Jesus definitely was all about that. So have you ever been talking with somebody and you will say, what's their story? Do you ever use that language? I do this sometimes. What, what is their story? What I'm asking is, what's going on in their life? What's, what's the background here? So here's how I want to end today with this simple uh, reflection moment for you. What was your story before Jesus? What was going on? How'd you feel? Were you captivated by fear? Were you doing destructive activities? Were you on a path? You know, and maybe you were saying, well, I wasn't really all that bad. Well, praise God, you weren't all that bad. But I'm going to tell you this. There's nothing worse off than being without Jesus Christ. That's bad, my friend. Amen? And one of the big lies that we bought into this country is, is you could be good without Jesus. You cannot be good without Jesus. You are a sinner, hopelessly lost, destined for hell without Jesus. Amen? And I hear people say, well, it's never that bad. Did you have Jesus in your heart? Yeah. You are bad. You were lost. You need Christ. Amen? we got to quit soft-pedaling that. Like, oh, we add them on, I do a little bit. No! If you don't have Jesus in your heart, that is the grievous sin, the most grievous sin you can commit because you are hell-bound because of that. Then let me ask you this question. What has your story become because Jesus is in your life? How has it changed? Use it, uh, some reflection. I love what Pastor Aaron shared this last week. I've been trying to reflect like this week like crazy uh, be, because he told us to. But anyway... Uh, it was really good. I, 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 I did something you should never do, but because I love my wife. I love you, Vicki. She's doing this. Thing. We went to Fargo to pick up our grandkids Friday. Yeah. Oh. 
the highways are closed. I'm going up 75 because I'm a Minnesota boy. I know how to get around closed highways, amen? And it was a nightmare trip. I'm going to honestly tell you that. And I let her know. I'm sorry, hon. Um, and, and so to pick up the two grandsons, because my kids were going to Mexico on Fargo on Saturday morning at 5 a.m., so we're doing something I would never do because I just wouldn't do that anymore. So we're traveling really slow up these highways. And I, I remember thinking, all right, this is something I would never do now. I'm just going to get to Fargo and stay at a hotel. That's okay. <laughs> when I was young, I would never do that. Anybody relate to me on that? I would drove, drive home in that, in that weather in the dark. I just stayed there. And I just relaxed. And I just tried to enjoy the kids. But honestly, I was... Sh- mentally and emotionally just shot. And I said, I just need to regather for a night, get some sleep and face tomorrow and come back in the light of the day. And I want to tell you something, friends. This Christmas, reboot some. Just take a break. I don't know what that looks like for you, but don't drive yourself crazy trying to do everything. And make your schedules work for you instead of you working for your schedules, all right? Amen? And remember this. Jesus is about rewriting your story. He's doing something new in you if you'll let him and if you believe in him. So God bless you. Merry Christmas. I hope to see you at the evening services or whatever works out for you. If not, have a really Merry Christmas. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this this stuff that we just read today, this genealogy. I want to thank you for all these changed lives that are included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to thank you for how real the Bible is. You don't sugarcoat this stuff. We see the brokenness of people, the scheming of people, the manipulation of people, and yet you use them, God, in the lineage of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, Lord, I don't, I don't know where people are at, their backstories. I don't know what they've done, Lord, to create their story. But I know this, when we give our life to you, Jesus, you rewrite the story. And that's what I pray for everybody here today. Rewrite their stories. Do a marvelous work of redemption and renewal in the life of everyone sitting here, everyone listening online today, Lord. Show yourself mighty, God, and may we just trust you with our lives and rest in you and find those moments of connection with you. I pray this in your name and by your blood, Jesus. Amen.